0: 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29 says, Now Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa king of Judah. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Now we already, as we're introduced to him, see that the level of wickedness that we have here with him. The kings of Israel had a reputation of being wicked and not following God. The kings of Judah, you would have good kings and bad kings you know, scattered in in between each one. With Israel, they were all wicked. They were all evil kings that did not follow God. But Ahab in particular, it says that he did evil inside of the Lord in verse 30, more than all who were before him. In verse 31 it says it came about as though it had been a trivial thing. For him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. He also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Again, a remarkable feat, not a commendable one, but a remarkable one, that he was able to do more wickedness and more evil than all of the wicked kings who came before him. So as we think about Ahab here, notice it said there in verse 31, and the New American Standard is what I'm reading from, where it says that it came about as though it had been a trivial thing. That this is something that it's, it's just not seen as being that big of a deal. That all of the sins that he had committed, it was not important or not of any concern anymore. And we think about how Ahab got to this point. We need to be reminded of how this can happen. Because the world that we live in today trivializes sin. It makes it appear as though sin is Perfectly acceptable, that it's no problem, that there's nothing wrong with it, that we can engage in it, and there's no consequences, and nothing nothing to fear as far as certainly any future punishment or judgment from God. The world around us trivializes (coughs) sin. Well, with Ahab here, as he committed more and more sin, and went further away from God, it says it became a trivial thing. That it was something that just did not matter. Why or that what he was doing or how far he had gone, it simply did not matter. How did he get to that point? And how, as we look at ourselves and the world that we live in, we think how he got to that point. And see as we look at the world around us how easy this is for it to happen for us if we are not guarding Against it. So I want us to look at that. But before we look at how sin becomes a trivial thing, what it was about Ahab and his surroundings that made this the case for him, where he did not, he was not concerned about this, he did not think that it was a problem. Before we get into talking about that, I want us to notice what the Bible says about why it is dangerous to make sin a trivial thing. A few passages I want us to look at, first is over in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, why is it dangerous to make sin a trivial thing? Well, 1 John 3 and verse 4 it says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. This verse defines for us what sin is, what the what the umbrella term is for it. That sin is lawlessness. What that means is that sin is when we do something that is contrary to the law of God, contrary to what God has revealed. That is sin. So this is what this is what John defines this as: one who practices. Sin also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. But when sin becomes a trivial thing and we're not concerned about it, we forget the fact that, or we ignore the fact, that God has given us a law. God has given us something to follow. God has an expectation of us that we do His will. Sin is when we fail to do that, but when sin becomes trivialized, then we ignore God's law. We don't pay attention to God's law because it's not really something we need to pay attention to. It's not really something that we need to follow. Another reason why it's dangerous to make sin a trivial thing, back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 59, and this is a verse that I cite from time to time so that you may be familiar with it and already know what, what it says or what the point of it is, but Isaiah 59 and verse 2. It says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. What does sin do, as far as our relationship with God and the fellowship that we have with God? Well, sin cuts that off. Sin separates us from God. That God, because he is light, and as 1 John one five says, in him is no darkness at all. He cannot have fellowship with us when we are in sin. Sin separates us from God, but when sin becomes a trivial thing, we forget that. We forget about that relationship that we have with God, the fellowship that we need to maintain with God. We forget that. Because sin is just so normal and so common that we don't even think about how it affects Our standing before God. It's dangerous for sin to become trivial because we forget how it affects that fellowship that we have with Him. Then over in John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 8, think, why is it dangerous to make sin a trivial thing? You had people here in John chapter 8 where Jesus was telling them in in verse thirty two, that you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, they questioned him on that because they didn't know how they could be made free. Because well, we've never been enslaved to anyone, as he said, in, as they said in verse thirty three. Verse thirty four, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin sin enslaves us it traps us not against our will we don't want to get that impression because we sin when we choose to sin but we become enslaved to it that it becomes easier and easier to just continue down the path of sin to proceed from bad to worse as second timothy 3 and verse 13 says when sin becomes a trivial thing why is this dangerous Because we can easily become enslaved to it. We don't realize the severity of it. We don't realize the consequences of sin and how dangerous this is. And so we just give ourselves into it. We give into temptations. We give into things that we desire to do that are contrary to the will of God. We become enslaved to it. Because we forget how serious this is. And then in Romans chapter 6, there's another reason given here why it is dangerous to make sin a trivial thing. Romans 6, verse 23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are the consequences for sin? What does it lead to? Well, here it mentions death. But that's not just physical death. All of us die, even... Sometimes, tragically, infants might die not because of any sin that they committed. That's not what this verse is talking about. It's contrasted with what's mentioned in the second part of that verse. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the death there of Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death. It's the opposite of that eternal life. Is that eternal destruction, the punishment away from the presence of the Lord, as 2 Thessalonians 1 talks about? That's where sin ultimately leads. This is why it's so dangerous to make sin a trivial thing, because of the severe and eternal consequences of it. That we forget about all of this. But if you look over in Romans, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 3, if Despite all of these things that we've noticed here, that sin is a transgression of the law of God, that sin separates us from God, that sin enslaves us, that sin ultimately leads to eternal punishment, when we trivialize sin, we ignore those things. We see no reason really to fight against it or to try to overcome it. And then we have the situation that the Hebrew writer talked about in Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 13, where he said, Encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can have our hearts hardened by sin, by the deceitfulness of sin, when we forget these things that we've talked about, when we forget why sin is so dangerous, but instead, it becomes a trivial thing, just as it did with Ahab. It became a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that it was, it was nothing to him. It was no concern. He wasn't worried, obviously, about the law of God. He wasn't thinking about how this affected his standing before God. He wasn't thinking about the The enslavement that is there, that we become enslaved to sin and becomes harder and harder for us to give it up. He wasn't thinking about the eternal punishment. None of that mattered. All of that became inconsequential because sin had become a trivial matter. And that can happen to any one of us. We think, well, how could that happen? If we know the scriptures, if we know what the Bible teaches, we know how dangerous sin is, how could we get to the point that we look at sin the same way as Ahab did? Well the way that or the circumstances that existed that led to sin for him in his mind becoming a trivial thing those can, those can exist for us even today. Well, how did that happen? We'll go back to 1 Kings, chapter 16. There are four factors that are involved here that show how sin became a trivial thing for Ahab and also how it can happen for us today. What was the first of these factors? first factor that led to this was the culture that he grew up in. It mentions that he did more sin than all the, all the ones who came before him. But notice how he grew up. Notice the, the environment that he grew up in. 1 Kings 16, verse 25. We read already that his father's name was Omri. So we read about Omri in verse 25. Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. So we read about Ahab and we remember Ahab He's one that, that we recognize as far as the kings of Israel. If we don't have, or you talk to someone who doesn't have a very in-depth knowledge of the Bible, or maybe we haven't studied this in a while, we might forget who Omri was. Well Omri was the father of Ahab. And before Ahab came along, he was the one who had the dubious title of the one who was the most wicked king. He acted more wickedly than all who were before him. This was Ahab's father. This was the environment that he grew up in. He would have learned from his father. He would have learned how he did and he just continued right along with that and then Ahab surpassed him. So Omri, verse 25, acted more wickedly than all who were before him but then Verse 30, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil inside the Lord more than all who were before him, including his father. He surpassed him. Well, that was the environment that he grew up in. That was the culture that, that he grew up in, that he learned all of these things. That he was around all of this, and that's the environment that he had, and it had an impact on him. It led him to think that sin was inconsequential, but sin did not matter. We're told in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul wrote to the brethren there in Philippi and told them how they were to conduct themselves. And it's interesting to read about how he described the world that they lived in. He said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you you appear as lights in the world. They lived in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Ahab grew up in a crooked and perverse environment. And if we look at the world around us, I think would our society, could that be classified as a crooked and perverse generation? I think all of us would say absolutely. Our society today would fall into that same category. We as Christians, we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. He says, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You as a light in the world. Jesus talked about being a light in the world. And letting our light shine in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. That you let your light shine. You are like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are to stand out. You are to be different. You are not to be like the world. But when the world around us is like that, it is a very strong temptation. To drift into that. Or maybe not as far as some of the world does. Maybe not go as far as they do, but it's a temptation to be like them, to join in with them. James said in James 1 verse 27 that we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Not just keep ourselves a little bit better than the world, and well, it's going to rub off on us some, but that's just going to be expected. We just need to be a little bit better than the world, and that's not what he said. He said, keep yourselves unspotted from the world. Paul said over in Romans 12 in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We live in a crooked and perverse generation, but we need to be different. But if we aren't on our guard, and if we're not diligent about this, that culture that helped shape Ahab to become what he was, that same culture exists around us. And if we allow it to, it can cause us to think that, well, sin doesn't really matter. Sin is really of no consequence to us. The second factor that led to sin becoming trivial for Ahab was the influence of those who were close to him. We already talked about his father and how he learned from his father. We don't really read much about the relationship that he had with his father, but even if it wasn't close, he still would have been influenced by him, but there was someone else who would have been closer to Ahab than his father was, and that was his wife. He mentions in this passage that he married Jezebel in verse 31, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. They went and served Baal and worshipped him. When it talks about Jezebel here, he married Jezebel, and then in the next statement, he went to serve Baal and worshipped him. Those aren't disconnected. Those are related to one another, that one led to the other. Notice that it mentioned there, who Jezebel's father was, Ethbaal. That was used in the names of these kings because it was to honor that false god. It was to honor Baal. So here he was marrying Jezebel, who was from another culture that was against God. Not sometimes people talk today about different cultures, and some cultures are have their certain traits and certain characteristics. That, we're not talking about just differences in culture, and we just have different different things that we do or different practices and and all that. This is talking about something that is directly opposed to God. That was the culture that she grew up in, and that's what Ahab was inviting into his household and into his life, where they they came from a culture she his wife came from a culture where they worshiped Baal so he went to serve the Baal he erected an altar for Baal he made the Asherah well how much of an influence was this remember over in 1st kings 18 that you have the influence of of Jezebel and it mentions there that where Elijah is issuing this challenge. And it says that he sent to gather me at Israel at Mount Carmel together with 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. When it talks about these prophets who eat at Jezebel's table, don't picture some giant dining room table that can fit all of these hundreds of prophets. And, well, they just all gather together here and they all eat. There, there were probably feasts like that where they would, they would come together and they would eat. But what it mentions here that they were eating at Jezebel's table. It's talking about the fact that she was financially supporting them. This is why when Amos got in trouble in Amos chapter 7 for, for prophesying that something that the king of Israel did not like to prophesy he was told to go from there go back to judah and there eat bread there do your prophesying in essence he was saying he was being told that you will have no support here you are not welcome here your message is not welcome here you will not be provided for here go and eat your bread and do your prophesying somewhere else well that's what we see here in first kings 18 these 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That meant that she was supporting them. She was feeding them. She was providing for them. So this was not just a, you know, her cultural upbringing. This is just what she was used to. And, and there were sacrifices and things that were going on. She was financially deeply invested in this. This was the one. This was the woman. That Ahab married. That's going to have an influence on him. The people that we have in our life, that we choose to allow in our life, they will have an influence on us. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a warning here about how we are to be careful who we allow to have an influence over us. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now sometimes we take that verse and apply it to marriage. It would apply to that. It's not exclusively talking about marriage. It's broader than that. But he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be bound together with unbelievers do not allow them to have such an influence over you that it leads you into sin. Now, he's not saying do not have contact with unbelievers. Obviously we need contact with unbelievers and people outside the church if we want to influence them and teach them and try to lead them to the truth. That's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about being so tied together to them that you just go in whatever direction they're going. You think about the oxen who are yoked together. They're going to go in the same direction. They cannot separate from one another as long as they're yoked together. They're going to go in the same direction. Paul is saying here, do not put yourself in a position where you are bound together with unbelievers and you just go along with them in whatever direction they go. Do not allow them to have that type of influence on you. Ahab did allow this. And Ahab, he had that cultural upbringing that he had where it was already wicked, already contrary to God, but now he, you bring in the influence of his wife. And that led him to go even further away from God and provoke God to anger. Those influences in our life can do the same thing. The third factor that led to sin becoming trivial for Ahab. And while it's not specifically mentioned here, I think we can safely infer that this is what happened. Was that his conscience became seared. Because when it becomes when sin is seen as a trivial thing or a trivial matter, it means that he's not feeling guilt for sin. He doesn't have any shame about what he's doing. He doesn't have any any thought in his mind that, well, I really shouldn't be doing this. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no regret. His conscience has been seared. Paul talked about this seared conscience, how that can happen over in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where he connects this to Really what we're talking about here with Ahab, with apostasy. How he departed from God and continued further and further away, even though he was already started being led down the path by his father and by the culture around him. He continued further down that path. Well, Paul is talking about apostasy here. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from food which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You have individuals described here as their conscience is seared, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Well, what did that lead them to do? Well, verse 1, it says that they were falling away from the faith. They were departing from the faith. How could they do that? Well, they no longer felt guilt for their sin. Our conscience is important. Our conscience is not our guide. Some people think that their conscience is their guide as long as they, they feel good about what they're doing, as long as they are they are doing what they believe is right, then that must be right. Now, our conscience is not our, our standard. But our conscience is there to help us. God put it in there to help keep us from sin if we will train it properly. In Hebrews 5 and verse 14, it says, Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil it talks about their senses let's talk about what we describe as the conscience that we recognize right and wrong that we feel guilt about sin when a situation is presented to us when we are tempted to do something and there's a red flag that goes off in our head that well I don't know if this is right well that's your conscience God put that in you. That's not the standard of whether it's right or wrong, but it is there as a warning sign. That when there's something that doesn't seem quite right, when there's something that, that well, I'm not really sure about this, maybe I need to step back and see, see if this is right or not, that's your conscience. Your conscience is putting that obstacle, that roadblock in front of you. But when our conscience becomes seared, there is no roadblock. We just rush headlong into sin. We don't consider. We don't think that, well, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe this isn't what I should be doing. We don't think about any of that. When our conscience becomes seared. The Hebrew writer said there, our conscience has to be trained. And that context is clear that that training is done by the word of God. We need to make sure that our minds and our hearts and our consciences are trained by the scriptures. Because that will help throw up those red flags whenever we're tempted. Whenever we encounter a situation that we're not sure if this is right or not, but it seems like maybe it's not, well, maybe we need to listen to that. And before we proceed into it, make sure that we stop and look at the Scriptures and know what the Word of God teaches. With Ahab, though, his conscience became seared. Sin was trivial. He did not feel guilty for this. If our conscience becomes seer, then that same thing will happen to us. Then the fourth factor. We've mentioned already that how sin became trivial for Ahab. It was the culture around him. He grew up in an environment where wickedness was, was common, wickedness was practiced. The influence of those around him, we have his wife, Jezebel, and how he would have led him, how she would have led him into, further into sin. His conscience was obviously seared because sin was trivial to him. But then, and possibly related to this, was the fact that he was openly committing sin. Openly doing this. It mentioned there back in 1 Kings 16 that he would travel to do this. He went to serve the Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And he also made the Asher. All these things that are being described here are things that are open. Things that are out in the public. That he he would do these things. He would practice these things, not in secret. When you practice something in secret, The reason why you do that is, well, a couple possible reasons. One is that you don't want people to know about it because you feel guilty about what you're doing. Or two, you're afraid that there will be negative consequences. The people around you might look at you negatively for what you're doing. And sin ought to be something that is shameful, that we feel guilty about it. And Depending on who we're with, if we're with godly people, there would be a sense of shame that we don't want them to find out about what we're doing. Obviously, secret sins need to be repented of just as public sins do. But what what I want us to recognize here from this is that once sin becomes public like this, then it is very easy for it to be seen as inconsequential. That it really does not matter. It's like those in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 15, where they had forgotten how to blush. That they no longer felt guilt for their sin. It was not something that was shameful anymore. And so if it's not shameful anymore, well then we can do it out in the open. The phrase that That's common. You don't really hear it anymore because you don't need to anymore. But you used to hear the phrase when someone would would admit or come out that they were homosexual. We were talking about how they had come out of the closet. Because in our society, in the past, that was something that was seen by society as a whole as shameful. As far as what the Word of God teaches, it's always been sinful. But our society for a long time, that was shameful. And so when it was practiced, it was done in secret, it was done in private, and when people were coming out, and I remember back in when I was in high school and in the nineties and things, this started to happen more, where people would come out of the closet announcing and letting everyone know that they were homosexual. Well now it's as it became more normalized and more accepted. you don't hear that type of language anymore. At least I don't, I don't really hear that language anymore because there's no reason for them, as far as from a societal standpoint, there's no reason for them to keep quiet about it. Because now it's something that is to be celebrated and accepted. And there are pride parades and things like that. You even have Pride Month in the year because this is not something that we have to keep secret anymore. This is something that we're just going to be open about it, and you see how this is spreading. I saw a statistic just, I think it was this last week, about the number of, of people who identified as LGBT or LGBTQ or however many letters they added to the end of that. But they, it broke it down by generation. And the Generation X, which is... I believe the ones who are a little bit older than I am. They remained fairly consistent about the ones who would identify as LGBTQ would be about 3%. Among Generation Z, which is the generation that would be between me and my kids, it was about 19% would identify as LGBTQ+. 19%. Nineteen percent. Why would that happen? It's not because this is people are born that way, and just all of a sudden the genetics mutate, and all of a sudden there's an explosion of people who are are this way now. It's not because they're born this way. This is a chosen practice, a chosen habit. It's learned habit, and as it becomes more accepted, people experiment with it more, or they play around with the idea more, or think about it more, and they are more open to this. When there is more openness about sin, then sin becomes something like what happened with Ahab. And this particular sin, it's, You know, this is not the only sin like this in our society, but it's a trivial thing. No one cares anymore, as far as our society in general. No one cares anymore if someone's a homosexual. That's perfectly normal. It's perfectly acceptable. That there's nothing wrong with that if you listen to the people in our society. Again, God's Word hasn't changed. And it doesn't matter what the culture is that we live in. It doesn't matter what influences we have around us. It doesn't matter what our conscience says. It doesn't matter how open something is. The Word of God does not change. And so we need to... Take this as a warning for us. Think, like, well, I'm not as bad as Ahab. I'm you know, he was the worst king of, of all the kings, all the wicked kings over in Israel, he was the worst of all of them. I'm not like that. Now, that's good. But what happened to Ahab can happen to any one of us if we allow these things to break down our conscience and break down our conviction, and we start to think that, well, you know, sin really isn't. problem. Sin really doesn't matter. So Ahab, while we think about examples in the Bible, a lot of times we look at good examples. He's an example of someone we don't want to follow him. We don't want to be like him. We don't want to allow sin to become a trivial thing because, again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, we need to understand how dangerous sin is. That sin violates the law of God. Sin separates us from God. Sin will enslave us and ultimately, if we continue in it, will lead to eternal destruction. So knowing that we live in a society that is in a lot of ways similar to what Ahab was living in, we need to guard against this and not allow sin to influence us the way that it did with him. So as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, we want to invite anyone who is not yet a Christian to become one. If you are here this morning and you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess your faith, you can be baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away. And if you've done that and gone back into the world, you've not considered the seriousness of sin, but you've given yourself over to that and need to repent of that, And we would encourage you to do that. Repent of that sin. Pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And if we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.